I want to try to come up with a word, and I don't know exactly, I, I don't know that word yet, but it's close in proximity to both serendipity and delight. It kind of means you're pleasantly surprised that something happened, even though it was the thing that you wanted to happen all along, but you just weren't quite sure it would. I got that feeling from today's movie, where there was quite a bit of heart for a movie starring Jack Nicholson. I don't know why I'm always surprised by it, but it gets me right in the feels. And though Ryan and I have had our arguments about Nancy Myers in the past, I think we come to a point of mutual admiration for this film. So sit back, relax, don't worry about mom and dad arguing, because today we've found some common ground. Just like Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton do in today's film, 2003's Something's Gotta Give. Hey, everybody. Welcome to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. My name is Kelly McCrillis, and as always with me is my co-host... Ryan Graves. Hello. Hello. Decided to bring the energy today. Yeah. uh, Speaking of bringing the energy, we buried this in the lead last week, and I think we should do this at the front of the show. You made an announcement last week. I want you to repeat that announcement right now. What news do you have for the world? I... Um, have you heard the good news of the Lord? <laughs> <laughs> we are becoming a religious podcast, everybody. No, 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 we are not. Uh, well, oh, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, my wife is pregnant. She, um, she felt some first kicks recently, oh. like, like on the outside through the, through, through the belly, like, um, our, our baby's basically like an alien astronaut inside my wife. It's really weird. Great. You're going to go through, it's unfortunate that you have to spend the month in Atlanta working on the show, but you'll be home in a couple weeks and it's going to be really annoying because Robin's going to be like, oh, she kicked and you'll have like your hand on the, the tummy and you'll be like, I, I can't feel anything. <laughs> nothing <laughs> is happening. No, keep it there. Yeah. For how still long? Still nothing. It took m- a couple months after, maybe not a couple months, but several weeks after Sarah started feeling kicks, could I start feeling the kicks on the exterior? Or maybe I should put a sign on my back that's like, kick me. <laughs> kick me. <laughs> uh, also, I really want to start giving you like fake advice and just see what you'll like start picking up. Like When you're changing diapers, always face the baby north-northeast to get the best optimal... like changing diagram ah ryan you're gonna have to get up pretty early in the day to fool me my friend because well or you're gonna have to come up with something better because that sounds like bullshit (laughs) (laughs) it is bullshit that's why i gotta get really good at it and just see what i can get you to to catch on to i'm just sure just just see what i want to do i'd say out of the two of us uh i'm definitely the one to probably come up with more like secret tricks slash old wivesian type remedies to things and so you you're gonna have to like really try hard to convince me of whatever you're giving me advice for because generally audience this is how ryan gives advice okay so the way you're gonna want to do it is this because it really you know worked bad for me when i did this and so (laughs) through trial and error i was able to surmise that this is the best most accurate way to do it now the book said this but i found out that when 
I followed the book's instruction, then added this, all of like a you know Half Blood Prince or something. Um, oh, right. Then I was able to find out. And so if if you don't go into that level of detail with your shenanigans, then I don't think it's gonna work. I should have Half Blooded Prince my uh, what to do with your baby book. I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> what to expect when you're expecting potions? Yeah. You want to be careful. People will think you. Up to something. Okay, so I don't have a game for you today because I actually had a topic question, a la, oh. you know, a sixth grade essay that I wanted to have us uh, compose together. This week, our movie is Something's Gotta Give from yes, Nancy is. Myers. And 2003. It's the Sex in Your 60s movie. <laughs> I remember <laughs> the headlines being just every every headline was like, it's the movie that shows seniors can have sex. It's like, great. I'm glad we figured that out. So that's what kind of what you remembered most about it? Just the public discourse over it. I see. What I remembered, since I didn't see this movie until a couple days ago, um, what I remember most is the Oscars that year. Billy Crystal turning around and seeing people naked oh, yeah. in his in his intro, which is just great. Everybody go watch the intro to that year's Oscars. It's very good. Billy yeah, Crystal's was, were always great. That was great. Um, so my topic question for you, in, in this movie, uh, the there's a love thing thingy between Keanu Reeves and Diane, Diane Keaton. Mm-hmm. And I, I missed I missed the the actual specific number of years. I think they say it in the movie, but Sarah was distracting 20. me. Twenty years. That's it. Yeah, just twenty. Okay, mm-hmm. that's nothing. My topic question for you is: We are in our early thirties. Yep. If we are Keanu Reeves, who is yep. our dream woman that is twenty years older, but a woman that would be like, "Ooh, man, I I would not be able to resist her." I. Th- think mine is going to be Kate Winslet. Oh, good choice. I don't hold on. I got to see when Kate Winslet was born. Uh, Kate... I mean, she was like 18, 19, 20 and 1999, right? Mm, she might just be 10 years older than you. Hold on. Uh, 75. Yeah, she's only 13 years older than me. That doesn't count. I'm sorry. We cannot take it. But, you know, good celebrity crush either way. What about Emma Thompson? Oh, she is definitely age appropriate for this question and definitely your time. <laughs> Emma Thompson is a year older than my parents. <laughs> hey, um, I think you so should take 30, it. 30 years older uh, is what she is. I think um, that works. I, I Okay. Would... I mean, it definitely, like, if, if we're playing Price is Right rules, um, like, I'm not going over at that point, or I am going over 20. It works, I guess, for this weird game that you've concocted. What's yours? <laughs> um, mine is... Let me double check. So she's got to be in her 50s. Um, age. Uh, yeah, this totally works. Sandra Bullock. Oh, oh, very good. Come yeah. on. Come on. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, there's something about her that I would just, I probably would just fall over my own words. I don't think I could be anywhere near Suave if I ran into her. Okay, on the male side of things, we're both probably saying Hugh Grant. Or would, who would you pick, Hugh Grant or Jude Law? Hugh Grant. You can have Jude Law. Although, Jude, if you were no, with Jude take... Law, you'd be like looking in a mirror. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's I'm not that narcissistic. I'm going to go with Hugh Grant, too. You have big feet. Yes. 
Yes, always, always have had. You are already better than you think, though. <laughs> Sarah also recommended to me who my celebrity crush would be. She said, if Nora Ephron was still alive and was just a good, clean 20 years older than me, if that was the age gap, then Nora Ephron would be the equivalency to this because Keanu Reeves is like, I love your work. And like he's just like, your wit, you're so smart, all of that. And I think for Nora Ephron- I like your Keanu Reeves. That's very good. <laughs> Thank you. I think for me and Nora Ephron, I would have the same kind of reaction of like, I, I always thought Nora Ephron was, was cute, but then I would just be so in awe of her, like her wit. You know, I'm actually, um, <laughs> I'm right there. Robin and I went to a uh, a reading once, like a poetry reading where we were also reading. Um, and we decided to dress up as um, Tolkien and Nora Ephron, uh, just because <laughs> we wanted to dress up as one of our favorite writers. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely go for the regular Nora Ephron, but I kind of have... You know, if I want Nora Ephron, it's available to me. Is what I'm saying. Hachi <laughs> uh, machi. How did my wife get pregnant? Maybe it was Nora Ephron. Anyway, let's get out of this weird hole that I might be digging for myself if Robin listens to this, and blast off into space. And you tell me a story about something that's got to give. Ah. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. Ask you about love. Quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. We start the movie seeing a, as Jack Nicholson probably would say, a bevy of beautiful women. Is bevy the correct word? Bevy? A beavis? A beavis of beautiful women? A beavis of beautiful women. That can't be right. <laughs> and Jack Nicholson voiceovers in his classic Jack Nicholson is like, ah, beautiful young women. I love beautiful young women. <laughs> <laughs> it's a man. If he's like the opposite of Stephen Fry, like vocally, <laughs> like the Jack Nicholson vocal fry in my heart is is one that makes me just feel dirty. <laughs> I know, I know. You like having Jack Nicholson in your head because I had to watch this with headphones on. So I just had Jack Nicholson like right in there. He's just like, "Oh, let me growl, my little purr." Let me, let me, let. Okay, Ryan, close your eyes. Okay, okay, eyes are closed. Imagine Jack Nicholson. He's down here and he's saying, "Now, Ryan, I'm gonna read you to sleep. What's your favorite book?" Oh, I know. Once. In a hole in the ground, there lived a <laughs> hobbit. <laughs> How, like, you couldn't sleep, right? You'd just be always worried that, like, maybe a hand would graze your leg. I would or... listen. I would listen to Jack Nicholson's rendition of the Hobbit because it would be like, "There was a hobbit. What the hell is a hobbit? He's got fur on his feet." <laughs> he would just complain it's... the whole time. It's like that old SNL skit when they have like different actors uh, auditioning for oh, Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's in our, our introduction to Jack Nicholson. He's in love with beautiful young women. And so then we actually meet him and he's in a convertible against the worst green screen of all time. It's pretty bad. Uh, with Amanda Pete, And they're on their way to a lovely home in the Hamptons. And we get um, some Basil exposition, which explains 
I'm a young 30-year-old woman, and I'm glad I'm dating you, an older man, because that's my thing. I think you're fun, and it's my mom's house, and blah, blah, dating, blah. Dating's in quotes, right? Right. Like, they're, they're kind of like, they're, they're about to hook up for the first time. Maybe they've gone on a date or two. But, right. but nothing else has happened. But this is definitely like, hey, let's go hook up at this house in the Hamptons. I've got right. I've got a sweet gig for us. She explains like, oh, my mom's this successful playwright. That's why she has this awesome house in the Hamptons. And I, I've got a bingo card for us. Yeah. And it's kind of a like Nancy, Nancy Myers, Myers bingo. bingo. Like there's lots of Nancy Myers tropes. And I feel like... The bingo like uh, tokens are lampshades, and you you want to put like you get five <laughs> lampshades in a row, and then I sure. think we've got a bingo. All right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna just um, I, I'm going to keep track of this for us right here. I'm making our bingo card. So lavishly rich lifestyle is probably like the free one. <laughs> like I think that's in every single movie, okay. no matter what. Rich. I'm writing that in basically lavishly B, rich B three, but lavishly the lamp rich. the lampshade is she's wildly successful and worked really hard for it, so earned it. I love how Amanda Pete, who is also working for um, basically Sotheby's or like yeah. you know uh, uh, an auction house, is like, yeah, I guess she's rich, and like Jack Nicholson, being the older, wiser person, is like, if she lives here. She's rich, you naive little girl. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the movie absolutely 100% acknowledges it. And it's just like, well, what we learn about Diane Keaton's character pretty quickly is like she's a successful playwright writing Broadway shows, and she was uber successful like at the beginning of her career. Like, And she also had money because her husband was also an uber successful director. And even though they're divorced, they probably both like – share custody of a lot of their like yeah art they yeah. seem pretty simpatico as yeah because they still work together mm-hmm. um and and they said that the house was bought like decades ago so yeah back, i'm sure you know back when the hamptons was cheap to live in <laughs> well i'm sure the hamptons have always been expensive but i've got to think that real estate in the hamptons wasn't as painful 30 40 years ago my head oh, canon is she not. bought it in the early 80s where yeah, Yuppieville, they, it was definitely expensive, but was more realistic. And probably add-ons, remodels, yada, yada, yada. So first first square on the bingo card, earned it. Got it, Rich. <laughs> Whereas Meryl Streep and It's Complicated is, I'm a baker. <laughs> Just <laughs> Yeah, I would say that this movie, more than any of her other movies, is oddly... I think Lampshades was the perfect thing to use for our bingo card because it is the most self-aware movie that Nancy Myers I have seen made. Yeah. So first one, we got we got on record. So they have like a sexy, like, ooh, let's go get naked in the Hamptons house. Uh, but then they get interrupted by the most wonderful woman in the world, Frances McDormand, and her other- Frances w- Interruptus. <laughs> and her best sister friend, her sister- <laughs> Diane Keaton, the star of the show. Yeah, so that's Zoe and Erica. Erica is uh, Diane Keaton's character. And there's this funny thing where, like, uh, Jack Nicholson is looking through the fridge in his underwear. And so Diane Keaton gets Zoe to, uh, or Frances McDormand to, like, call the cops. And then 
uh, she's like brandishing this knife and Jack, Jack Nicholson is trying to convince her that like I'm dating your daughter. And like, not only does Diane Keaton not believe it, but she definitely doesn't want to hear that. So I think there's levels of, you know, deniability here. Yeah. It all gets figured out. And then, um, they all decide to just stick it out up here. The four of them, because they're all going to hang out at the house for a while. And, um, I mean that, we, we this is where we get like the introduction of Diane Keaton to Jack Nicholson as two people who are start off on a complete wrong foot. Oh yeah, which and I think is is a is not necessarily a Nancy Myers trope, but a trope of the genre. It's a great rom com fodder to to deal with. Mm-hmm. We learn that Jack. Well, they learn that Jack Nicholson is like a notorious like young woman, not womanizer per se, but. Only goes after the younger ladies. Okay, so this is, I think this is another Nancy Myers trope here. We can do Alec Baldwin back in, what, what was the other movie? It's Complicated. Uh, it's Complicated, where Alec Baldwin cheated on his wife with a younger woman and then stayed with a younger woman. Is that, does that add to our bingo? Um, I mean, it's in It's Complicated. It's in Something's it, Gotta It's get. in The Holiday. How is it in The Holiday? Because Cameron Diaz's guy sleeps with the young secretary. She's young. I mean, it's 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 not a generational like. Uh, no, it's not it's, generational, but there's it. There's seemingly men men go after young women is kind of a a trope of her movies. It's definitely the most prevalent in. It's complicated and something's got to give. I'll give it to you, but it's not as strong as a trope as some other tropes. Agreed. Uh, and I think you know Nancy Myers's thing in both. It's complicated and something's got to give is that there is this weird double standard for men that they just are have free reign to like be boomers and go after millennials or gen xers and it's Mm -hmm. no big thing and it's not the same for women and a lot of what something's got to give is dealing with that double standard and being like how true is that double standard maybe maybe women can go after younger men and it shouldn't be a weird thing or be frowned upon yeah and and i don't think it's the way she presents it in this movie isn't that um they can't or that it's even looked down upon it's that it's not it's not something that happens right it's not a thing like it it's it's almost like so socially it's almost like a social not blind area but like like it's we're just told that it's something that like men do all the time but women don't do all the time and so it's it's far more so that that like basically women are desexualized after a certain age in society's eyes. Yeah, yeah. The differential here is that Diane Keaton thinks Jack Nicholson is ridiculous for being mm-hmm. for having the lifestyle that he has, and he's like, "Well, you're ridiculous. Why can't I just live my life? Like, I get along with girls that are younger than me, and I don't get along girls that are your age." <laughs> <laughs> and then she kind of takes offense. He's like, what? Uh, it's a fact. Girls, your age. How is, how is that a, a bad thing to say? He was referencing like his work because he's a, he's a rap label mogul, a hip hop label yeah. mogul. And something like women your age love like a particular magazine or I can't remember. But yeah. Um, and so they start off on this wrong foot. And the first night that Jack Nicholson stays over at the house, he and Amanda Pete are about to get to business when we hear from the other room, 
Amanda Peet starts screaming and we we get into the room with Francis McDormand and Diane Keaton and they see Jack Nicholson lying on the ground having a heart attack and it's it's real. Like yeah. Jack Nicholson is he's I think he's giving 110% in this movie and yeah. especially in this role like he's got like stuff coming out of his mouth. He's yeah. like really trying to talk through like 12 years of phlegm in his throat. It's yeah. like it's really real. Yeah, and Diane Keaton decides that she has to give him uh, CPR, which I is, don't get that. I, I don't <laughs> think you should be giving him CPR. I think that's the wrong move here. But <laughs> good for you because the shot where she's like coming in, like you fucking asshole, <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> and Jack Nicholson's like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, hilarious. Uh, sometimes when like science is set aside for comedy, I don't like it. But in this case, I very much do. <laughs> yeah, I love it. He's like, no, I can't possibly deal with this. So he gets admitted to the hospital. They rush him down. Um, there's a great bit where they're giving him medicine and we meet Keanu Reeves, the hot doctor. Whoa! Okay. And he's like, you know what? you know, what prescriptions are you on? He's like on Lipitor and it's like, okay, are you on Viagra? And that's just when his girlfriend comes into the room. He's like, "Uh, no, No, I'm not on Viagra. It's like, good, because if you were, then this drug we were going to give you is going to kill you. No, I'm on Viagra. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's classic. And, and here we run into another Nancy Myers trope. It is, I would call this person the perfect man. Yep. Or, the ideal man, as you have once called him, as based at first in, in this podcast uh, with Jude Law mm-hmm. in The Holiday. And uh, I, I think kind of followed up with uh, Steve Martin in It's Complicated. He's not so much like the young ideal man in that movie, but, you know, he's kind of perfect for the most part. In this film, we've got Keanu Reeves. Whoa! <laughs> who is not only dreamy, um, pulls in a really good performance mm-hmm. in bed, Ooh. but is also just like patient and kind and loving and um, just adores Diane Keaton because he's way into her plays. It would basically be like if either of us met Nora Ephron. Yeah, we would totally be like And that. we were both doctors. Yeah, we are not doctors. And we're not even fake doctors. And we're, we're not... But we are real friends, so there is yes. that. Yeah. Hey, that's my favorite uh, motto we've come up with for the podcast yet. We're not even fake doctors, but we are real <laughs> friends. But we are real friends. Uh, I apologize if there's any leaking of baby crying in my audio. I there's very little I can do about it. But yeah, he's I mean, so cute. Maybe you could go be a better dad. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uncalled for. We're still friends. Yeah. Still not you doctors, just, though, you right? Just, you just wait, my friend. In uh, several months, uh, come October. October? Yeah. You do October. My baby's going to be perfect. <laughs> you know what I was thinking <laughs> when I was taking care of Theo today? What? Today was my day, just me and him. There's There were so many things where it's like, okay, time to feed, time to change, time to do this. And when you have a baby baby, the baby will let you know every time that they need something and you just kind of go through this revolving checklist of like uh clean diaper fed burped napped i don't know what you need and you eventually just get into this rolodex of like just going through those and then your baby will satisfied when you have like a toddler like a one-ish year old i have it's like i don't know what you're looking for and my video game training of like 
having like um not a Pokemon, but like one of those Tamagotchis or like having played the Sims so often of just like, remember to feed your person, remember to do this. It's like, oh, right. He hasn't drank any water yet. <laughs> just like, thanks. Hey, where's your bottle hey, of water? To Sony, to Nintendo, to whatever company made Tamagotchi, you really do matter. The training kicks in. The training kicks in. Okay, back to our story. Keanu Reeves, dreamy hot doctor, uh, saves Jack Nicholson's life. Uh, he he meets he meets the ladies, and you know I thought this was an interesting scene where he brings tea to Amanda Peet and Francis McDormand and Diane Keaton, and they are like batting their eyes at him. Mm-hmm. And if it was a male director making this movie, it would feel absolutely chauvinistic towards women. But it's Nancy Myers doing it. It's like, okay, okay, if that's if that's how you want to play the scene. It just feels like they're really fawning over him, and it feels a little, I don't know, too much of one something. Yeah, I. To me, it was it was kind of sweet, and we've already pre-established that all these women are independent, strong people in their own yeah. right. And so, even if it was directed by a guy in the same way, I I don't think it would have bothered me just because the. These are all individual characters who can swoon over a hot doctor like Keanu Reeves because I myself would understand that. Yeah, it's just, it's funny because they're totally multidimensional and the joke of this scene is that they're just swooning over him and it's kind of like this kind of weird irony of like- Even Francis McDormand. Yeah, Francis McDormand, professor of women's studies is swooning. I'm just like, okay, (laughs) like- I mean, yeah, just because you're a professor of women's studies doesn't mean you doesn't can't mean swoon. you can't swoon. That right there yeah. is anti-feminist, Ryan, if that's, you say that. That's what I no, that's why I came around to him. Like, why can't she swoon? <laughs> Everybody <laughs> Who can might swoon. admire that. Yeah. Uh and he focuses on Diane Keaton. He's like, Oh my gosh, you that playwright. I love your work. Maybe um, we can go surfing and rob a bank later. And I love Diane Keaton's just kind of like not acknowledging him as a potential romantic person. No way. No way. Right, because she's, uh, not only is he much younger, but she has, at this point in time in her life, she kind of can't see herself as a sexually attractive or even just a, like, nominally attractive person. Yeah, she's shut that aspect to her life off. As Frances McDormand explained earlier, she's like, my sister is this workaholic. She writes all the time. She never goes out. And I think she needs to socialize a little bit more, which like actually embarrassed Diane Keaton in front of Jack Nicholson, right. which is an interesting like Freudian response that why should she care what Jack Nicholson thinks about her? Well, we often we often do care what Jack Nicholson thinks about us. Like we none of nobody wants to admit it, but we all do just a little bit for some reason. I just wish he would acknowledge me. He he made a deal with the devil at one point in time. And this is this is his payment. Everybody cares about him a little bit. Well, no matter how much of a cad he is. So Dankin immediately goes to Amanda Peach, like, now there's a guy for you. You shouldn't be dating Jack Nicholson. You should be dating Hot Doctor. And the other two are like, no way. You should be dating him. He's obviously into you. Yeah. And for the trope we have at hand here, I don't think it's lampshaded necessarily, but I do think it's the most realistic perfect man trope we have in Keanu Reeves. He didn't even card us, dude. I feel like it's the most, he's the most three-dimensional because Jude Law, the holiday, we've complained, I've complained about this before. It's like, he just has everything 
ready for him to say the perfect thing. And he just is, there's just no conflict. Keanu Reeves, it's like, there's this aspect to him where he's like, yeah, I could be dating women my own age, but I'm kind of bored with them. I really like you and I really just like your plays. And I think he said that he's 30. 36 something. Six. Yeah. He says he's 36. And at that point in time, we have to be, and he, he says the thing, you know, I've never felt this way about anybody my age. And it's like, well, I mean, you're 36. You've probably been in love before, like, and you just met Diane Keaton. And so there's the like rom-com unreality creeping into this situation. But I think it, it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Again, he's just the perfect man. And for some reason, I can forgive Keanu Reeves for being that. Yeah, I think in this movie there's enough evidence for me to create headcanon for him. Yeah. I don't have the evidence to create headcanon for Jude Law in the holiday where I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't know why you don't. Like, I feel. I like mean, we've... he's not in the holiday. He's not completely unrealistic, but he just doesn't come off. He doesn't leap off the screen for me. He just lacks the dimensionality all the other characters have. We know more about him though. Yeah, but I just I feel so much more. <laughs> I, I can I think you're dying on a hill right now. No, I it's my it's my opinion. I'm not dying. I can't engage with Jude Law <laughs> in the holiday. I can totally engage with Keanu Reeves in something's Why? gotta give. Because there's something more realistic. There's more de- there's maybe I don't have as many details, but there's just something more believable in his portrayal. Okay, performance and, and, wise. Why why is Keanu Reeves' performance more realistic than Jude Law's? No, no. I'm asking you, is it is it the performance? Is it how he's written? Is it how they film him? Um because Yeah, I, I think both. I think I think Keanu is ironically a stronger actor than Jude Law, at least in the Nancy Myers universe. <laughs> we make fun of Keanu Reeves so much as kind of a dull wooden actor, but really this is a great performance from him. And I, yeah, I agree. Um, I think this is a great performance from him. I honestly think it's a great performance from Jude Law. So I can't agree with you there, but um, I don't know. To me, they are on a level. This they're, they're, they're akin, they're equal. Yeah. I I think this, this, these are the tropes standing up to each other. Oh, okay. Yeah. I definitely prefer the Keanu Keanu just because there's more there. There is like what we learn about him is that he totally falls for her. And there's like this moment later in the movie where he like sees Diane Keaton like laughing on the phone and he like decides like I'm asking her out. And there's this like progression of like I respect her, I'm attracted to her, and now I want to ask her out. And so I just kind of like that uh I don't know, leveling up. We watch his evolution. There's a small arc to him um yeah, yeah falling in love with her. But yeah. But it's 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 not really that much of an arc because he goes from being obsessed with her when he first meet her to obviously liking her to asking her out. It's really it's not it's not that big of a leap at all. No, but but I like it in as opposed to most rom coms where it's like the character is just like, wow, you're really hot. I, I need to have you like most rom coms. It's a lot more like basic, you know, yeah. even even Notting Hill. Hugh Grant's like uh, gorgeous. Just what does he say? Perfect or lovely or lovely. whatever it's yeah, um, lovely. But I, I think I, I guess I'm going to land on the other side of this. Uh, I, I like Keanu Reeves. I like him falling in love with Diane Keaton. I like everything about their stuff here. But I'm going to say it is basic um, because it's just Keanu Reeves 
loving this person's writing, immediately having Gaga eyes over her, and then asking her out. There's really no difference. And and I'm I'm just saying we don't need to give depth where there's not depth. We can still like it even though it doesn't have depth. Would it would it be as believable for a 36-year-old Keanu Reeves to fall in love with Diane Keaton without the other elements that are in this movie of like he respects her as a writer and all that other stuff? Or was it just like this guy just sees this older woman as an into her? Like, do we need to have any kind of build up for it? I think that extra layer is exactly what this needs but it's not it's not deep it's just it's a no layer i'm not I can, saying i can see yeah. it front <laughs> i'm not saying this is like a deep love story akin to like on a corinna i'm not saying that oh, okay, but i'm just yeah. saying well i wasn't either but <laughs> i know but i'm just saying i'm just saying i like i like what they've got going on here okay I, me I, too I like the story tell. so let me let me progress with the story here basically uh, amanda pete's kind of over jack nicholson at this point in time because once i think once you see your mom gives like an older gentleman <laughs> mouth to mouth you're yeah. kind of like things things get put into perspective for you yeah and so um harry uh jack nicholson's character has to stay with diane keaton and this is where we like just for days because you know he's too weak to to keep going um and so we've got this like oh why can't i think of their names jack lemon and walter Matthau in the odd couple Felix and Oscar. Felix and Oscar. Thank you. Gosh, that that was like in the third episode of Gilmore Girls. I don't know why I can't remember that. <laughs> anyway, so we have this Felix and Oscar-esque situation where he smokes cigars and she doesn't want him to smoke cigars. And it's it's not necessarily like they're combative all the time. It's just that neither of them want to be with each other. And we get that hilarious moment where he sees her naked and he like covers his eyes and she's really embarrassed. But slowly, over the course of them staying in the same house together, they kind of start falling in love with each other. Classic rom-com trope for any any rom-com. Just, yeah. just the Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn thing, just full on display. And I like how you just glided over the most important scene of the movie, which is when he sees her naked, which is just, in terms of like the cultural moment when this movie came out, that was the big thing. And I'm convinced that's why she got an Oscar nomination was that scene. Oh, you don't, you don't think she, she deserved it otherwise. She did. She's a great actress, but that's what clinched it is that mm-hmm. everyone was like, Oh my God, she did a nude scene in her sixties. I remember that being such a big talking point and everyone in the entertainment industry was like, wow, I can't believe it. I, I wasn't like, even though I watched the Oscars that year, I, I didn't like, I remembered it being a big deal that she was naked, but I didn't know why at the time I was far too naive. Um, (laughs) so, so that, that was just me being too young, but yeah, I can like 2003 being like crazed about this. I, it was a bold move on her part. And I'm, I I love that she did it because it's like it's all right there. It's a ballsy move. It's yeah, just it's Diane Keaton. We didn't see it, but you've got some balls. Yeah. And I just I think it's the funniest scene in the movie because Jack Nicholson's line of like I didn't see anything and he's just and then long beat <laughs> just your tits. <laughs> and, and she's like, "Oh!" Ah! 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 Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. oh, 
Oh, I'm sorry. She's very embarrassed. For days, she's embarrassed. And I think this is a good point in time for us to bring up the costuming of, of this movie. Because in that scene, there wasn't one. Right, right. So let's start off fresh. No costuming. And then we'll step up to underwear. <laughs> um, a lot of people point to Nancy Myers and they say, you have these gorgeous houses. Um, you know, lots of interior decorating. And that's the part of production design that they look at. And I want to say it's it's not it's not necessarily a crazy amount of psychology that goes into their costuming here, but I really like what they do mm-hmm. where for the most part, Jack and Diane, um, <laughs> this is the little, little ditty, ditty. I guess <laughs> I'm going to sing about them right now. Their costumes are either opposing in colors or they are matching in colors where like um, he'll be wearing khakis with a white shirt and she'll be wearing like kind of a brown shirt with some white pants or vice versa. Or like she'll be wearing all black and he'll be wearing all white or they'll both be wearing black or they'll both be wearing robes. Or when he's starting to change, he'll start wearing more colors. And same thing with her. There's there's a lot of dance going on with the costumes in this movie. And uh, it really starts happening after this scene where they've seen each other, or he's seen her naked. There's some interesting things like that where I didn't notice that consciously, but that's what's so fun about all the micro decisions that are being made every day on set. Of, mm-hmm. From the bigger decision of like, okay, what you know, what main costume are they going to wear in this scene down to like, well, is their tie going to be like perfectly tied or is it going to be kind of like ruffled or is, you know the house going to be pristinely clean or is there going to be like a mess? All these little decisions that are made add up to the psychological effect of when you're seeing it, you're not actively registering it, but your brain is still catching it. It's still, it's still getting there. And this one, this one seemed very purposeful. Like this, this seemed like a a top down decision by the costume designer who is uh, Susan McCabe. And I I just think um, her and Nancy Myers did a great job. Costume yeah. in this movie. Yeah. So where do we sure. go from here, Ryan? So the middle of the movie is, you know, Jack and Diane are starting to fall in love with each other. And we, you know, at first they're butting heads because th- the whole gimmick is that he has to stay put in Hamptons for a while while he's recuperating. And Keanu Reeves, the doctor, is like, You're going to have, if you can have, if you can, he says, The rule of thumb is, if you can walk up a flight of stairs, you can have sex. And Jack Nicholson's like, challenge Nailed accepted. It. <laughs> I will try and do that. Uh, so that's his goal in recuperation. But mean meantime, he falls in love with Diane Keaton. And the other half of that is Keanu Reeves is starting to date Diane Keaton too. So now in the mid- middle of the movie, we have this love triangle where Diane Keaton's like, do I go with the younger guy and kind of prove my self wrong and eat crow because she all she you know made this whole diatribe of like we should go after people our own age we shouldn't go after people younger than us and then this whole circumstance with keon reeves kind of is like uh, is that is that a thing do you have to like can't you just date who you want to date yeah and um i think it's important to to talk about um the night that they actually do spend together yeah um, they start having all these long conversations on the beach. Uh, they're collecting stones together. Jack Nicholson is represented by black stones. 
She's represented by white stones and they're slowly infiltrating each other's lives and starting to change each other in small ways. I love their chemistry in these scenes. It's so good. Yeah, me too. It's so good. And the first night that they spend together, it's, it's like in the, in the rain, they've like, she's already gotten permission from her, her daughter basically to, to consummate (laughs) because it's weird, right? Can we talk about how weird it is that her daughter was dating a guy? Not they hadn't done it yet, but or barely even kissed, I think. But she was definitely sexually interested in him. And then she's like, "No, mom, you go ahead and go for it." What did you think about that? I think I can't even start to relate to being in that position because <laughs> <laughs> my parents aren't divorced, so I've never thought about my individual parents having romantic things happen like that and like just following through on that and be like i dated this girl but we didn't have sex so i decided yeah she should date my dad (laughs) it's just like i i can't do that but i it doesn't pull me out of the story it really doesn't pull me out of the story either i still bought it it's kind of those things where it's like okay (laughs) It's definitely movie magic where the right people say the right things at the right time in order to kind of pull this crazy situation off. And speaking of pulling things off, uh, they end up having sex. They they take off their clothes and like check. <laughs> There's this really cute moment where they're checking. Um, Diane Keaton is checking Jack Nicholson's blood pressure. <laughs> before he has sex it's really it's really funny and cute and after they have sex they both cry and seeing jack nicholson cry was a big surprise for me in this movie yeah here's the thing about jack nicholson crying in five easy pieces he has a famous scene where he cries and you know that's one of his biggest early 1970s roles and that's a notorious crying scene because he's like i'm not gonna do the crying scene like he is really good friends with that director, Bob Rafelson, and they fought about it. He's like, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to do the scene, but I'm not going to cry for you, Bob, the director. <laughs> and the director's like, I'm the director. You're going to cry. And they like argued and argued, and Jack Nicholson basically was like, fine, roll the cameras. Let me cry. He like cries, does the scene, and like I think Jack himself is like, cut. Okay, we got it. Can we move on now? And it's like... <laughs> One of the reasons why he became a superstar in the early 70s, because it's such an emotionally earnest thing, but he so did not want to do it. And it's just so great that in this movie, he's crying all the time. And it's like, look at you. You're crying all over the place in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it only took you uh, 40 years to get to that point. Oh, I guess yeah, 30 years. It's great. Uh, but yeah, it's so great. And we kind of see each one of them slowly. We both of them fall in love with each other, but they can't quite come out and say it like Jack Nicholson is being that standoffish older guy where he's like, you know, he says you're a woman to love rather than saying he loves her. And she can't ask him to sleep with him, even though that's what she really wants. Cause she doesn't want to be denied. Uh, but then he comes back and sleeps in the same bed with her and mm-hmm. it's, it's really sweet, but I do want to roll back for a second during the okay. sex scene and he's trying to get her turtleneck off and like, it's a great, great like payoff because early in the movie he's like, what's with the turtlenecks? Why are you always wearing the turtlenecks? 
She's like, I like turtlenecks. Fuck you. Um, and he's trying. So during the sex scene, he's trying to take the turtleneck off. And she's just like, just just cut it off. He's like, really? And she grabs a pair of scissors and she says, cut off my sweatshirt or my sweater, my turtleneck sweater. Man, that's like, so okay. dangerous. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but it's this kind of sexy thing where he like cuts it up to uh, three quarters up. And he's like, you want me to keep going? And she's like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah keep going. He's like, okay, and he rips, rips it off, and it's like this. It's a sexual metaphor, like metaphor, visual metaphor that is. It transcends this film. <laughs> yeah, it's it's way more artful than most rom coms ever get into. And I mean, this whole film is filled with that because, like, there's there's this extended sequence later after they um, they kind of like have a breakup later on where she's writing and half the time she's ecstatically happy and the other half she's crying but the whole sequence culminates in her like laughing and spreading her arms and legs and it's all extremely orgasmic yeah like everything feels orgasmic in this film yeah but in this moment when jack like jack nicholson like being that sexual partner of like i'm doing the thing you're asking is is it i okay that I keep going and there's Mm -hmm. just this like tenderness between them and you can tell with Diane Keaton's character like this has been a long-held fantasy that maybe for the first time ever she's going for it and it's a significant sexual experience for both of them right for them as individuals but also as a couple Uh you know and And I and it's so consensual yeah Um, yeah it's really great it's it's an amazing scene that I think it's one of the best scenes that she's written and directed out of all the films that I've seen from her. I think I've seen all of her movies at this point. It's Agreed. It's so just, I don't know, it's good. It's honest. It's good. It is good. Gosh, uh, we're basically halfway through the movie at this point. So what can we do to kind of sum up what happens next? <laughs> Well, you know, that's the most important part is that we got to that midpoint where they have sex because then they're like, I think we're in love with each other, but they already know enough about each other where she's like, wait, 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 you're not a relationship guy, so this isn't going to work. And they kind of have this unspoken, kind of spoken like, well, that was a fun time. I'm going to go, we're going to go back to New York and just kind of do our thing. And they don't really understand how things are going to progress. And right, they don't have a DTR, as it were. Yeah. That's a defining the relationship talk. Because of that, the the rest of the movie is, you know, a lot of misunderstandings where Jack Nicholson's like, okay, I guess I'm going to go back to the life I always knew. And they have this run-in at a restaurant where there's a subplot where Amanda Peet's dad, Jack uh, Diane Keaton's ex-husband, uh, is director fall- of her plays. Yeah, falls in love with this younger woman that's Amanda Peet's age, and Amanda Peet freaks out about it, which is a nice ironic subplot that, oh, so you're okay with doing it, but now when someone else is doing it, you realize finally that it's weird. And I did feel like we were missing a scene somewhere where Amanda Peet realizes this, though, because she's just oblivious to it the whole time. I think she's oblivious, but I think the movie is like, get it? You guys get it? I mean, yeah, it, it was a pretty obvious part of the movie. I did like the irony, but I did also want that confronted, but it's fine. She's yeah. not the main character. Right. So. And so they're all out to dinner, you know, the the ex-husband with the ear, nose, and throat doctor that he's marrying, who's 30 years old. And that's when- I mean, Diane... again, again, this is the, um, this is that old, old with young yeah, uh, trope yeah. coming yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, there's another good moment where Diane Keaton sees, oh- <laughs> 
this is apropos of nothing, but early in the movie when oh, Jack, Jack Nicholson is at the grocery store with Amanda Pete and Diane Keaton and he watches Amanda Pete's ass just walk away and he's eating While he's ice. licking ice he's, cream. And it's just like out, <laughs> an outrageous moment from Jack Nicholson that is this this visual metaphor. You just, oh my God, it's so gross, but it's so Jack Nicholson and it's so, it's the greatest like anti-Nancy Myers moment where he is, is so not much. being the perfect guy. He is being so inappropriate and so crass, and it just flies in the face of the Jude Laws, the Jack Blacks, the Steve Martins, the Alc Baldwins. But, but the thing about it that I love, and I think the reason why it's pulled off, is he's not doing it at Diane Keaton. He's, he's doing it for himself. He's doing it for himself. He's doing it oblivious of her watching him, which I think is the thing that saved that scene from going over the edge. Yeah, I just <laughs> love it so much. But in that scene, Diane Keaton sees these old ladies and she's like oh my god am i these old ladies yeah because she sees like another older man with a younger woman and it's just like reflecting back to her like the position she's in and so she catches when she's out on this date she actually sees jack nicholson out with a younger woman who apparently he had this date set up before they had even met and it doesn't look like you know there's like anything serious about this. They're just like out on kind of a date, but it really hurts her. And he chases after her and she basically asks him to commit while he, when he's chasing after her and he just can't because I mean, to be fair, even, even though he is kind of a scuzz bag, like he's also an honest one who was like, this is who I am. And I, I wouldn't expect his character to change that much overnight. Like, yeah, it really made sense to me that like, like this was probably the most honest part of the movie to me where she was like begging him and he just couldn't. And she was just heartbroken, got into the car. And I was like, yeah, if he had said yes right there, it would have been a very false moment. Right. And he, he just doesn't, he's, it's been established that he does not have the relational equipment to handle this circumstance. Right. And he, we're watching him struggle, try to say the right thing. And again, throughout this entire movie, Jack Nicholson is the anti-dream guy. Like, he is the anti-perfect guy. He's the anti-Keanu Reeves. He's the anti-Jude Law. And it's it's so satisfying because that what I was missing with Jude Law and Cameron Diaz is conflict. There's such good conflict between Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton that they both want the same thing, but they can't have it because they don't have the emotional wherewithal to do it. And it's just so, ah, moving. Yeah, it's like I was really surprised actually that um that Jack Nicholson didn't end up going to therapy. Mm-hmm. Like that if if this was like say a Woody Allen movie, that would have yeah. been a huge subplot of that character, but I'm I'm glad he didn't though. He kind of put himself through his own therapy. Yeah, so then we get into the sequence where, you know, she's heartbroken and she has this great sequence where she's laugh crying through writing this new hit play that she's got where she's exercising the Jack Nicholson experience that she's just had. Right. It's, it's basically one for one. Um, and then he finds out about it and there's this great scene where he confronts her at the theater that she's putting this play on and he turns around and there's like seven different versions of him and they're all like half naked. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. She rekindles things with Keanu Reeves uh, and she starts to actually have a romantic thing with him. 
and there's this other subplot where she tells Amanda Pete to like stop wasting your time and go find the right guy because I don't mm-hmm. understand why you're wasting your time. And that scene feels kind of nothing out of nowhere, but I like it in this movie because it just feel backs them up as three dimensional humans. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just a, it's a little filler, and it's it's like lettuce. It's like it gave a crunch to it. Like it doesn't do anything nutritionally for you, but there's a crunch there that you'll enjoy. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not it's not bad fat. It's it's good it's good nutrients. Uh so oh. then we get to Paris, right? Well, b- before we do that, we basically have um 9 months pass. Um yeah. and in that time Amanda Pete has gotten married and impregnated because <laughs> she's having a baby. Nice. Like my wife. <laughs> um and that'll be the last Borat I think I do on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then we we get bearded Jack Nicholson who comes looking for her. And bearded Jack Nicholson, I gotta say, I like. It's 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 weird. I I like I like crusty goatee Jack Nicholson from The Departed a little bit more. But I'll I'll take bearded. I mean, as as far as attractiveness goes, I think bearded Jack Nicholson is the most attractive. He definitely looks older, bearded. You can definitely tell. He how looks his sophisticated. To, yeah. To to me, he has kind of a papa. Look like I, I I'm saying Papa in the Ernest Hemingway sense. Pop, yeah, he's got a Papa Hemingway. He's it's definitely yeah. a Papa Hemingway beard. Definitely. Yeah, 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 for sure. And he finds out that she's in Paris, and so he ships up, goes, uh, like shaves his beard, goes to Paris, and finds her in this cafe that she's always said that she's gonna go to if she's gonna be in Paris. And he he basically apologizes, confesses his love, does that thing, but then oh no, Keanu Reeves shows up and. They're still very much an item, Keanu Reeves and Diane Keaton. And he's like, well, fuck. <laughs> and it's like, I guess I'll have dinner with you guys, whatever. And this sequence is really great because we see, and we have found out just before this that he spent the last six months rather than like sulking. He sold his business, went and apologized and like listened to all the women that he had dated before that he might have hurt. And so he's really grown as a character. And then um, he sits through this dinner with Keanu Reeves and Diane Keaton, kind of the opposite that he, in a way that is opposite than he would have done before he made this change, where he is just a charming guy. He's yeah. there for them. He's not there for himself after yeah. that. He And he makes that switch on like a dime. Um, and it's, it's really hard to watch, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then he goes and he's on the river Seine de blah 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 blah. Very French. Uh, where he's crying and Diane Keaton shows up and she said, Keanu Reeves saw right through us. He knew that I was still in love with you and here I am. Again, perfect guy. <laughs> he is perfect. And you know, it's you gotta have that graceful exit of the Bellamy. Yeah. Yeah, he is a Bellamy. There we go. Another mm-hmm. another trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they fall in love and happily ever after. Well, I think uh, that was an amazing retelling. It almost lasted as long as the movie. Well, <laughs> yeah. half as long. There's a lot to this movie. And I think that'll bring us into Troop Talk. You want to take a break really quick? Yes. And we're back with Trope Talk. It's like the Pope Talk, but with less Bibles. <laughs> Great. Just grade A gold right there. You know, we talked about it a little bit before. We argued about it more so in It's Complicated. Um, but we're going to talk about just the trope of Nancy Meyer's style. It's less of less of a trope and more of a a style that has become trope-ish throughout her movies. Oh, where... I have a pun. I have a pun. 
It's okay, her house style. Oh, very good. You're just... Um, <laughs> Both house and caliber of her guns. I don't even have a gun, let alone many, many guns, guns to necessitate a rack. <laughs> so I think I should just read what my wife wrote because she was watching this movie on mute because I was watching the headphones. And I think she has the house style definition for us and why it needs to be a thing and why it is a thing and why it's a good thing. So can I just read her? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can, but let's play the letters theme first. Okay. Hey, Flo. Huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you've got mail. You sent me a letter. You've got mail. Okay. My wife, the beautiful Sarah. Your wife. My wife wrote this. Hi, gents. Musings while half watching Something's Gotta Give on silent. I mean, that's how Sarah watches every movie. Yeah. Which, you know, by the way, is a great test of whether a movie is actually good. Is If she can watch it on mute and gets distracted by the movie while it's on mute means there's something going on visually. And that's that's awesome. Sure. But the same could probably be said of like Justice League. I don't know. The fact that she could keep up with the story, like she's like, is this what's happening? I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> like she was right about it like 90% of the time. I don't think you can do that with mediocre films. I, I think. Uh, uh, no, you can do that with mediocre films. In fact, I think I'm pretty sure you described Sarah describing what would happen in a mediocre film that you were watching last week. Uh, well, no, that was for, um, uh, we just watched it. Just go with it. Which, like I said, it was just so predictable that she could figure out the movie plot from the poster. Right. So. But you're saying you're saying that No, she was like, getting say, detailed say, things about the movie. She, it was it was much more than like are these characters going to end up with each other? She was getting story beats like beat by beat. She was getting it. So I stand okay. by my I stand by my assessment. I stand by. It. Anyways, okay. let's stop talking about myself. Let's talk about what she wrote. The Nancy Myers homes play a role in her films that I so rarely see in films. An integral part of the lead woman's character, transcending simply being the set and taking on a role in the film. People who watch these films not only say, OMG, Kate Winslet was so charming, but also have to throw in, and her house! In so many films, the homes of our characters are primarily meant to amplify, yet disappear, spatial makeup, if you will. I can't remember much of what Sally's or Harry's apartment look like, yet I can tell you exactly what the loft in the intern looks like though not so much about the film. You are supposed to notice the spaces and aspire to them, remember them, and think that they reflect the lead character. This may fall a bit into the trope talk category, the ideal woman having impeccable interior design sense, but I do think it's something many women can't help but want for themselves. And of course, this references the true Nancy Myers quandary. Is she film world's equivalent of a romance novel or good fiction that happens to have romance? It is interesting to note that several other film auteurs seem to do the same thing with their use of spaces as an extension of their characters, or highly informing them, but find themselves less stereotyped. Wes Anderson chief among them, but maybe also Martin McDonough, who did In Bruges, the Coen brothers, Quentin Tarantino, Guillermo del Toro. I wonder what those filmmakers seem to achieve that Myers does not. So I think my well, wife is brilliant. I, I totally think she's really onto something here. Yeah, I uh so her her list, she she put Martin McDonough first on the list. I <laughs> I don't know necessarily why he's on there. I get all the other people. Well, it's um, just Bruges as the setting being the story. 
and having the the Bruges like you know Bruges is such a medieval looking town that he he crafts a story around that setting. So I get what okay. you're saying. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um. I I agree with your wife's assessment of this film, where the the houses or I guess Nancy Myers in general, where the houses are physical representations of the women, or I would say extensions, I guess, which mm-hmm. everybody's houses basically are. But with Nancy Myers, she spends a lot of time with her. She makes her characters just basically impeccable designers. Um, what I, I mean, yeah, Sarah, Sarah makes, I guess, um, what is Sarah's point? Well, her point is twofold. Uh, first, that the house is a part of the character that you want to become. When you're watching a rom-com, or when you watch a lot of different movies... But you want to become the house? You don't want to become the house, but you want to become the woman who owns that house. That... you. Mm. When you're when okay. I'm watching when I'm watching Notting Hill, the movie is like, wouldn't it be great if you fell in love with a celebrity? And the movie is wanting you to relate to Hugh Grant so that you can go through the experience that he goes through. So, so that, Nancy Myers is saying, wouldn't you want to live in this house? More, more. It's more than that. She's saying because wouldn't because one is about plot. Wouldn't you want to be the woman who made this house happen? Wouldn't you want to be the woman who is behind everything that's going on with this house? And, you know, watching Sarah become a version of that woman now, like, we just we just had our first floor repainted, and Sarah herself pulled out. She literally ripped out one of the cupboards in our kitchen, and she installed these really beautiful hand-stained pieces for new shelves that she stained herself. She installed her own. She picked out the hardware. She made all these creative decisions. And I can just see, when I look at this house that she's built for us, I see her creativity and I see the woman behind the house. Now, see, I see that with Sarah. With all of these women in Nancy Myers films, I do not see them doing that to their house. Well, to be fair, it's complicated Meryl Streep wants to do that and she wants to be project manager and she has such lofty goals that she can't possibly do this add-on all on her own. She needs to hire a team uh, to do no, it. She and she she couldn't possibly that she's not the kind of character who would that we know does that work by herself though. But but the whole the whole setup in it's complicated is we see Meryl Streep say, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And that's the whole joke. And Steve Martin's like, oh my God, you have everything that sure. you want. If if I was um, myself and I went to a you know an architect and a design firm and I said I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this I'd be as cool as Meryl Streep. Um, I don't think anyone is as cool as Meryl Streep, but I think that's in that movie. <laughs> but I think I think it, it is pulled off much more this movie that they have this classy. Hampton's home and it is mm-hmm. a better home and garden version of it where I don't see a lot of unique personality to it but I think it's mm-hmm. the the getting at the idea of having a nice home that you earned and the home is a representation of her success and I think that's why it works in this film because they they establish that of like she's really successful she worked damn hard for it too she she doesn't 
you know, it's not like she has an easy life. It's she doesn't go out. She just spends all her time writing. And and this is what she's earned for it. This beautiful home that she's built. Well, she does have an, she does have an easy life now. But yeah, but um, she earned it. She earned it where I, I see other yeah, Nancy Myers the, films and it's not as earned. It's it's just. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I guess, uh, yeah, I have I have nothing to disagree with with Sarah, but I think this is one of the reasons why I dislike these movies in general, because uh, I, actually I responded to Sarah um, basically saying the the thing about Nancy Myers Holmes, um, they feel a lot of the times the way she films them feels like I'm watching somebody display clothes on a catwalk. Mm-hmm where it's about the fashion, it's not necessarily about the story it's telling, where this house is an extension of this person, but to me in a very bare, basic way. Yeah, but it's kind of like, I'll never look like Hugh Grant, but I'm glad that it's Hugh Grant that I'm supposed to relate okay. to, right? I mean, yeah, but that is a character, not a house, and that's what I'm talking <laughs> about. Is uh, That's why it feels so basic, is because it's it's interior design. It's not telling a story through set. It's not even telling a story through character, which is a completely different thing. But if I look at Hugh Grant's house in um, in Notting Hill, for instance, the house is, is also an extension of him and Spike. Right? Yeah, definitely. But the... the uh, what's a really expensive uh, like furniture store? Um... Uh... Neither of us know because we can't afford it. <laughs> no, it's like on on twenty third in Portland. What's that that one? Place? Uh, there's um, Restoration Hardware. Restoration Hardware. Yeah. Um, I I feel like Nancy Myers, uh, not so much in this one, but in her films, her house style, uh, as you so well coined it, it feels like she's she's more focusing on like creating a space that you would like to step into if you were this character Mm -hmm. than creating a real space that this character has made as a home. And that's how I feel about almost every single house in Nancy Myers movies, except for Kate Winslet's cottage. Yeah. All the rest of them don't feel like homes. They just feel like big structured houses. And to me, that's why I dislike the Nancy Myers house style. What, why, is why is it wrong when Nancy Myers does it, but when every single filmmaker in the 1930s does it, it's okay? Because well, I so I'm I actually thought about that a little bit when Sarah wrote her email. Um, because if we're watching something like My Man Godfrey or The Thin Man, which are, you know, comedies, sometimes romantic comedies set in the 1930s, um, a lot of it is class. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Nancy Myers very purposefully blindfolds herself to class well but the thin man they live in this swanky penthouse in new york Mm -hmm. and it's just like this kind of lampshade of like well he's just wildly successful as a private eye Uh and that's why they can have this really nice house but there's nothing detailed about this nice penthouse they just have a nice penthouse and that's sure that's part of the the movie going experience in the 30s was gee, my shitty house in the Great Depression sucks. I would like to go live in a more lavish lifestyle for a while. And that's the same thing in these movies. Well, the difference is in those movies, it's not like gracefully floating over like perfectly manicured areas and saying like, isn't this really beautiful? Because I really do think Nancy Myers and her camera work really wants to highlight the beauty of space and the Mm -hmm. space that she's created, curated, I want to say. Because it feels far more like a gallery than it does a set. Whereas something like The Thin Man, 
that apartment is just sometimes bombastically destroyed. Sometimes like there's Christmas presents everywhere. There's a dog hopping on everything, Mm -hmm. even though it's just this basic apartment that is like extremely wealthy. It's far more interesting to me with what the filmmaker does with the space and the fact that they're not, I'm forgive me for saying so, but masturbatory about their space. Oh yeah. I think Sarah, actually used the word it's masturbation when we were talking about how what these houses are supposed to do and that was her other point of saying is this a romance novel or is it literature with romance in it because a romance novel is just the masturbation part where it's just like it's just indulgence it's just fantasy Mm -hmm. there's no storytelling going on it's just supposed to make you feel good and i'm just kind of saying it can be a little bit of both. And I think it's leaning towards the romance novel aspect more. Yeah. Because because with Kate Winslet's Cottage, that's literature that's good romance because there's Correct. detail, there's story, there's character. With, it feels lived in. Yeah. And, you know, with this Hamden's house, it does feel just more like, oh, it's the perfect space. Do, don't you, doesn't it make you feel good to look at it? It's like, yes. So, it you, does. Know, you know, that age old adage about how Star Wars like brought um, age to space? Yeah. 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 And it, it feels like if you've stepped into Moss Eisley, like Moss Eisley has been there for almost a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And, well, man, you don't want to go there, right? Like it's, right. it's not something where I'm like, I want to go to Moss Eisley, but it feels like a better cinematic experience because of that. Whereas Nancy Myers movies, it feels like, um, she like everybody placed everything there perfectly six inches between each candle. Mm-hmm. And then she stepped away and, and was like, okay, make sure you dust everything as well. Yeah. 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 I, I just um, think, I think that's totally intentional. We've talked about it and it's complicated. We talked about the holiday and I've, and I'll just make the point again here. It's like, that's definitely the point. I think there's artistic, there is an artistic motivation behind it. And you almost I, said merit. <laughs> well, there is merit to it. And there's also some balls to it of being like, Nancy, that doesn't make any sense. How can this place be perfectly clean at all points in time? She's like, I want you to do it. Keep it clean all, all I, times. I wouldn't call that balls though. Like that's just... Like that's like saying any anybody whose style you dislike, you're like, mm, they've got balls. No, for, for making it a, a bad choice. I, I, I'm just saying there is an effect that she's going after, and I think she nails it. I just think you don't like the effect. I think it's agreed. I think it's perfectly executed. You just don't like what it is. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Um. The the last part of Sarah's uh, email, which also thank you so much, Sarah. You really like killed it with that. You really, I think you brought as much academia to Nancy Myers as one could bring. Mm-hmm. She compares Nancy Myers to the other filmmakers and says, "Why why is Nancy Myers stereotyped uh, as compared to these ones?" I do think that those filmmakers are trying to do more with their spaces, generally speaking. Um, and that's why Nancy Myers is typified the way she is, is because she really just wants it to be about the indulgent nature of her sets. And like you were saying, the escapism of them. Whereas I feel like everybody else, even Wes Anderson, is creating a world, even if that world is twee. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the Grand Budapest Hotel and it's it's a little bit harder because it's a hotel, so it has to look exquisite. And it is it is finally manicured in the Wes Anderson like attention to detail, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm with Sarah in the sense of his world looks synthetic, and that's the point. 
And Nancy I mean, Myers' yeah. worlds look synthetic too, because it's not a real space; it's a showroom. But so is Wes Anderson's rooms; they're showrooms too. Synthetic? No, no, no. I well, I would disagree. I guess um, rather than say they are this way, I would say. To me, Wes Anderson's worlds look created Mm -hmm. as if he is drawing them or he's creating something out of a storybook, whereas Nancy Myers, it literally looks like something that exists in real life. It looks like a catalog. Yeah. And so that's the main difference is there's less world building going on and more just uh, saying it's like taking a photo of Jude Law to your barber and saying, I want to look like this. You get really close when you do that, though. <laughs> um, gosh, maybe I should do that. I think my hairline could probably... Maybe I'll do that next time. But I'll, I, I'll Nancy Myers my hair. I, I think that's the thing with rom-coms, that there is this aspect of entertainment that happens with rom-coms itself where, okay, maybe it's not art at this point. Maybe it's more commerce. Maybe it's more just trying to give you something pleasurable to look at and there's no like actual storytelling behind it but i i will just stand up for it and say i like this aspect of rom-coms when it does that and i'm i i love that you said that because i'm also gonna say something's gotta give though ryan <laughs> at some point something's gotta give there has to be artistic so merit. actually i think this movie has a bunch of artistic merit yeah and i think this is where we'll agree to disagree where you know it's i think we've both made our points very clear so let's let's move on yeah, but I really like the Sarah wrote in and I as as somebody who watches movies with Sarah all the time, I can see why she particularly likes Nancy Myers' style, especially with her affinity for design mm-hmm. and the fact that she is sometimes busy on her phone when she watches these movies. If she can look up and see something impeccable, I get why she likes it. Yeah. Yeah. And I get why other people would like that. And and again, the audience watching the movie looks at the looks at the screen and say Ooh, I would like my kitchen to look like X, Y, and Z. And I like what they did. Like, literally, I was commenting and I said, Sarah, the backsplash in their kitchen, that's what I want to do. I want to have a backsplash like that where it's that white tiling. And it's <laughs> it's that participation. It's that involvement. It's that, like, ooh, you're getting my creative juices flowing. And I don't know. It's when you're watching a romantic movie. When I'm watching Kate Winslet and Jack Black be cute with each other, I want to get cute with Sarah, too. And it's it's kind of moving me and motivating me. So... There's there's something to it. There's there's something to it. I I agree. There's there's for me. It's like when I'm watching Lord of the Rings, I'm like, mm, I want my study to look like that. But again, it's 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 like um, I think oftentimes when I'm being sold something in particular, uh, like if I go to Best Buy and somebody walks up to me and they're like, let me show you this TV. I'm yeah. like, no, no, that I want, I want to look at all of this by myself and just kind of take it in and have my own opinions about it. And that's what I like about a lot of other filmmakers other than Nancy Myers when it comes to the design of their world is a lot of times I feel like I'm being held by the hand and somebody saying, don't you think this is beautiful? And for, for me, for me, I, I react diversely to that. I think you just haven't seen, like, I feel like you're, Nancy Myers is like your anti-interior designer. You would just hate every choice she makes. Like, I think you're, you're just too rustic for what she's. No, no, I, I, I mean, that's true as well. But I think my, my point still stands separate from that is I do think Nancy Myers, like Sarah even said, it's masturbatory and it's not my, it's, it's not my porn. (laughs) Well, on that note, let's move on. 
And on that note, Ryan, would you give this movie a rom-com Oscar? For interior design. No. No, I would not. Would not. I'm giving it best actor. Jack Nicholson. Mm. Because, like we said before, he just totally breaks the mold. He just absolutely is not going to play by the rules of like the perfect romantic protagonist in a Nancy Myers movie. And he's definitely written that way. But I think even beyond being written that way, I think she tried to maybe she tried to direct him in a way and his Jack Nicholson persona like also broke through that and was just like, lady, you hire Jack Nicholson. You're going to get Jack Nicholson. And there's just. <laughs> He just grabs her by the shoulders and he's like, you're my number one. <laughs> so, and I. <laughs> so I, I just love him in this movie. And I, I, you know, in the pantheon of Jack Nicholson and our, and our canon of other rom-coms, I still prefer his performance and as good as it gets, but this is year two. But they're very similar. Yeah. And this is year two and I'm, and I'm picking this one as my best actor. So. Okay. Going with I like it. Good, good, good Oscar, Ryan. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, there's this thing when you it's it's become like a uh, an ism I guess a, a, a trope out loud where people say, um, well I like long walks on the beach and <laughs> cuddling by a fire, and this movie literally has long walks on the beach. Mm-hmm. And as I was watching this movie, I was like, you know what? Uh, I love how accidentally they're falling in love right now. How accidentally they're filling up all these cliches, right? Yeah. I think I want to give this movie best cliche because I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think having them take a long walk on the beach and that's really the first time that they kind of fall in love just a little bit with each other is the best use of a cliche I've seen maybe in the entire time we've been doing this podcast. I think it's classics. Like Marshall says in How I Met Your Mother, it's not a cliche, it's a classic. And And it's a classic for a reason. When you can earn... Earn having a long walk on the beach, and though it's a cliche to have a long walk on the beach, but make it original and make it, you know, earn. That's what makes it a best. Then is it a cliche at that point? It is. It is still a cliche, but that doesn't make it bad. Okay. Like, it has become a cliche because of society, but, you know, you strip all that artifice away, and there's something really good there. Yeah. I'm going to ask you... This bigger question before I pop the question. So I'm going to ask you this big question right now. And then I'll pop the question about who you love. But we're not going to get there. Not yet. I want to ask you this oh, okay. bigger question. Um, I said last week that if you were going to get into a Nancy Myers movie, then something's got to give is the best chance of getting into a Nancy Myers movie. I want to know from the beautiful, handsome man I'm looking at in the computer screen... That is miles and miles away from me. Did you get into something's got to give? I got into it. You dug? I, you dig? I, I dug it. Yeah, I really, really dug it. Um, I like The Holiday, too, though. So there's really only one Nancy Myers film I don't like. <laughs> I liked this movie a lot. I, I, I was surprised by how much I liked it, actually. What, um, what do you think made it kind of work for you that do, didn't work with It's Complicated but did work here? Um, I think the writing is much smarter in this film. Uh, I think 
I, I like all the performers uh, and most of the performances in It's Complicated, but I don't think they're as strong as this film's. Mm-hmm. This film definitely surprised me. I think this felt like Nancy Myers still had a modicum of self-awareness to her mm-hmm. that um, I saw less of in uh, It's Complicated. And I, I think... I think the premise of this film is far more interesting. Yes. Like the, I think that's what does it most is it begs a question in the same way that when Harry met Sally begs a question, right? Can, can a, an older woman and an older man fall in love with each other after like this? I mean, that's not the central question. I guess the central question is why, why do older men date younger women and why can't older women do the same mm-hmm. with younger men, but then it it veers off course, just k- kind of in a similar way that when Harry met Sally veers off course at one point in time, and I just like it. And it's complicated. It's it's asking no questions. It's <laughs> yeah. it's basically like, man, these people have really gotten themselves into a circumstance. Yeah, haven't they? it's a romp, and it's complicated. There's not any insight <laughs> to be made. And that's okay. Not all rom-coms have to have, be insightful. But I think this movie, Something's Gotta Give, earns its keep for being yes, two hours and seven minutes long. And <laughs> It gets to stay inside on this impeccably uh, cleaned couch. Yeah, I think the characters are dynamic and interesting and three-dimensional and sometimes contradictory and just more realistic, but also still get to be characters and it doesn't try too hard to make them realistic. They just are on the screen. Yeah. Whereas, and it's complicated, the characters aren't as interesting, and some of them I don't like being around, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I would say half of them are people that I don't care to be around, and they're characters I should. Like, two of the kids, I was just like, you bore me. Yeah. I don't I don't care about you. I don't care about the other kid or the other wife. <laughs> and, like, something's got to give. I'm like, I don't think I'd be friends with Amanda Pete in real life, but I, I get it. You're cool. I, yeah. I have no problem with you. It's not quite on the like the level of ugh, what's a what's a good comp like Family Stone where we know all the characters and want to spend time with all the characters yeah. by the end. Yeah. But it's still you're right. It has a multi-dimensionality to its characters that at least makes you sit back and think for a second. Yeah, and I just like Diane Keaton has these principles that she kind of has to double back on be like, "Ah, maybe maybe I was, you know, she didn't even apologize for being kind of like you know, making these points of like, why can't you date people your own age? And then going after Keanu Reeves. It's I just like, I just like the contradiction on screen. I like the irony. I just, I like, I like everything I see. It's, it's, it's swell. It's a swell. It's swell. complicated. Your feelings about this. <laughs> uh, someone, please. I hope someone made that pun where is it's complicated, complicated. Nope. Not that complicated because it's, I mean, yeah. Like you know that the person that would have done that was Pauline Kale. Yeah, not it, her. Her title for that article would have been not that complicated, actually. Right. Um. So, well, you know what? It probably isn't complicated, Ryan. Your feelings for who you'd fall in love with in this film. Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is, I. Loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, I love, I love you. 
know. Definitely wouldn't fall in love with Jack Nicholson. You're you're a cad. You're a great cad, but you're Jack Nicholson, and I, I'm sorry, but just no, uh-huh. <laughs> no. <laughs> there are scenes in this movie where he is getting close to Diane Keaton, and they're like snuggling, and I just hear him going, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like he sounds like Jabba the Hutt sometimes. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> a tutor, write me a play. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Um, I mean, the safe answer is Keanu Reeves because he hottie and he's perfect yeah. and he's dreamy and, you know, wonderful. And uh, Amanda Pizza looker, too. She's nice, but there's not much going on. She has this cool job at an auction house. And, and my... Is it a cool job? I was going to ask you that. Would you like to be the person that... Like says, okay, we have this much now and this much. Oh, great! And I mean, yeah. oh, she she makes a point of why it's an important job, where she's like, okay, I got to go sell forty million dollars worth of art, and I'm like, that's that's some responsibility there. Like, you know, I, I mean, you, you you use the word important, but I think what you mean is there's pressure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I would still forty million dollars is is not something to bat an eye at. I'd say forty million dollars is important. That is yeah. that is some quiche. It is cash. I guess I'm just going to be a hippie right now and say, well, what's important about it, man? Well, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how do you get a high stakes job like that when you're 30 to be to be responsible for get for making sure that cash flows in? That's that's well, huge. your dad is a, and your dad, your mom and dad are famous um, Broadway artists and they know people who work in the art industry. That's probably how. Yeah. She said she also auctioned wine. And I just wonder, like. Do you have to be like this multidisciplinarian master's student who like understands all these things to be able to do this? No, 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 no. She's I don't think that she knows that much about art or wine. I think she's really good at auctioneering. Like she's an auctioneer, right? Yeah, but auctioneers like sell cattle and stuff too. Like there's something about the high stakes (laughs) New York world of auctioneering. The high stakes world of auctioneering. Versus I don't know anything about it, so maybe it's crazy and I'm just giving it shit for no reason. Well, I'm curious. It's an interesting (laughs) job for her to have in this movie, I think. Yeah, I'd say it's more it's more at least it's different. It's different than like, you know, she works at a magazine. Yeah, I just some like Nancy Myers, challenge yourself. Make a movie about someone who works for Starbucks. Like, give us someone in the lower middle class. I'd like to see Please. you pull that off. I'd love to see an impeccably, like, low rent apartment yeah. done. And just, just I don't, I don't want to see it, but I'm so curious I, as to see, like, to just see how she would shoot that as compared to the other. I still need that HGTV show where it's like, it's a makeover show, but the budget is like 500 bucks. <laughs> and like, because we watch these shows on HGTV, it's like, cool, man. We don't have $500,000 lying around for that makeover that we need your help for. Well, here's the thing. If you have $500 to quote unquote make over your house, you're not doing that. You're you're fixing something because it's broke or you're just living in squalor until you can not. Still like- As somebody who's lived in squalor a lot. I can I'd still like to see that show where it's like, nope, nope, you can't fix the pipes. You got to make it pretty. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, have a have a, a film crew come in here. <laughs> and I mean, you here's the thing. You got to pay that couple like that's fixing up their house more than you're giving them to fix up the house. That you can make a because you're just dis- yeah, you're disrupting their life for weeks. You can make a meta show about it. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see the documentary about that show. <laughs> 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 
the documentary about the reality show. So Abed. I'm going to not pick Keanu, not pick Amanda Pete. I can't pick Diane Keaton because, to be honest, she's always reminded me of my mom. Mm. So mm, I, I can see that a little bit. I just kind of have that association where I'm just like, nah, sorry, dog. I can't can't be into it. Um, so I'm going with uh, Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand. That's a good choice. She seemed really cool and underutilized in this movie. I'm like, where are all the Francis McDormand scenes? <laughs> I was like, oh, Francis McDormand is here, and I was like, wait, Francis McDormand was here. Yeah, she's only like, in like three quarters scenes. of the way through the movie. I was like, where'd you go? I need more of that. Also, what the fuck is up with John Favreau in this movie? He shows up for like two scenes. Like, what? Go make an Iron Man. <laughs> Yeah, he's well, he's playing happy, basically, yeah. in this movie. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, this was John Favreau from, like, 1999 through 2007. He just showed up in movies. Well, it's weird that he took the role in the first place. I mean, it wasn't much of a commitment, but at this point, he was either making or had made Elf. And so he was just kind of, like, transitioning into just, just directing. I think John Favreau is a Hollywood genius because um, he's he's doing the directing thing, but he's always making sure that his face is out there. And this has just got to be reminding people 24-7, oh, yeah, John Favreau exists, and he always makes me happy that he does. He always makes you happy? Exactly. Nice. Well, yeah, good choice with Frances McDormand. I'm actually going to pick her too. <laughs> I was I was close to picking Keanu, but there's something about like Frances's look in this movie that I just immediately fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I didn't get enough of her. And so I wanted, I wanted more. And so I want to experience like what it'd be like to, to get to know her. Yeah. She's swell. As, as a writer, I, I could not live in the same house as Diane Keaton when she's going through her like crying phase, because like, that's, that's quite a cry she's got on her. And I, I mean, it, I couldn't get any writing done while she was doing hers. So I mean, nah. you got to be supportive of the writing process. I do, but just not in the same house. I, I, I'm curious. I'll send her a letter. What is it like in your house, though? I'm not saying Robin is a hysteric cry laugher, but <laughs> you guys are both creatives. You're both uh-huh. writers. How does, in a one-bedroom apartment. In a one-bedroom yeah, apartment. Are. How does that go in terms of staff support? in your marriage of making sure <laughs> you're both getting your creative outlets met. Um, generally speaking, we're, we're a different, uh, kind of creative, uh, couple where I very much set aside time to create where I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up at six and I'm going to write until like nine or 10. Then I'm going to take a break and then I'll try to get back into it in the afternoon. And then I also like writing in the evenings. Robin is like, Okay, well, I'm going to journal for half an hour here. Oh, piano. Okay, I'm going to go play the piano for another maybe 30 minutes. I'm done with that. I think it's time to felt. Yeah, I'm going to felt over here now. And so a lot of it, Robin can can do art whenever. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. She can do whatever she wants. But I'm like, I'm such a, like a partner artist where I want somebody sitting next to me doing the same thing I'm doing so that I feel like, Ah, yeah, we're getting art done. Which is why you and I went to a coffee shop every day before the pandemic to the same coffee shop to get stuff done. Exactly. And uh, so it's harder for me, but through the pandemic, Robin has made it extremely easy by like really giving me like my space and 
you know, like, well, we basically just have one desk and whichever one of us has a bigger, more important project, we just kind of like trade off on who makes it messy that week, Yeah, <laughs> which is really good. And you have your own office, so I, th- I don't think you and Sarah get in each other's way very much when you're being artsy. Sarah very much disdains that I have my own office and that she does not. And oh, does she? <laughs> she is correct to disdain me for that because that's totally not fair. You've you've kind of you've kind of man caved it, but in a, like a way I enjoy because all of your um, all of your movies are arranged in like. By, yeah. by like director or genre. Yeah, and I'm like, Sarah, you watch these movies too, so it's your office as well. <laughs> I bet uh, the Nancy Myers and her wants to to change that up somehow. Yeah. Hey, so hey, one day there was no the the train man made no visit this week, but uh, we did we did put up a May movie poll for our patron members. Do you want to? Oh, that's right. Uh, let me tell you what our movies are this month for the May movie poll. We've got Just Like Heaven, Reese Witherspoon, Mark Ruffalo, some Hulk action. Never seen it. Seen it. There's A Knight's Tale, which I, can you tell me why you picked A Knight's Tale? I think A Knight's Tale is one of the most underrated adventure rom-coms I've ever seen. Is there, it's Shannon Sossman, right? Shannon, well, Shannon Sossman is one part of this. You got Heath Ledger, you got Alan Tudyk, you've got the guy who, I, gosh, I can't remember his name, but he played Robert Baratheon in Game of Thrones. It's oh, you've got Rufus Sewell. Oh, like it's yeah. got all the players that are in our genre. They're just all doing a period piece. I love it. Yeah. Then we've got Pleasantville, some more Tobey Maguire, Reese Witherspoon action. Although not between each <laughs> other because they're brother and sister in that movie. Ooh, yes, they are. Weird. And then the proposal. Why, why are you talking to me like I'm three? <laughs> I don't know because I have a one year. <laughs> And then the proposal, Sandy Action, the woman I am intimidated by in terms of- Sandy Action is exactly what you wanted at the beginning of this podcast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so if you want to vote in this movie poll, just go ahead and go on over to patreon.com backslash romcom gents and check it out. It's two bucks and 50 cents to become part of the gang. It would really help Ryan and I one day make that Nancy Myers house- (laughs) A reality. Or just feed our kids. <laughs> Ma- mainly, mainly it would go to feeding our kids. I'm potentially going to have a kid that eats a ton of food if they're anything like me. And it would be great if I could feed her. But it's currently tied between Just Like Heaven and A Knight's Tale. So if you want to make some changes, get on get on there. Get on there. Get on up. Well, what, uh, speaking of getting on up, something's got to give with this podcast. And we got to pick next week's movie. Yes. That made no sense. <laughs> that's okay oh also hold on uh just before we get into picking that we got so many recommendations this month oh okay this is from cameron davis uh she gave us win a date with tad hamilton shrek 2 oh okay sure okay the parent trap we didn't have the parent trap on here no the age of adeline Oh, yeah. Blended. Yep, yep. Got to have that. One day. One day. Which one? Which day? One day? Monday? I don't know. It's just one day. 2011's one day. Oh, is that the one with Anne Hathaway? Could be. Uh, Isn't it romantic? But I'm a cheerleader, which is from 2000. Yeah. And something borrowed. All of these things were new. And I added them to the list. 
She gave us a couple more that we already had on there, but it was a it was a big cache. Excellent, excellent, excellent. I love it. So how many how many uh, movie how many how many how many movies do I have this week? You got one between from. one and one hundred and seventy seven. Oh boy, let's go with um, one hundred and twenty, which is two sixty year olds put together, stacked on top of each other. Oh, this, like they were in this movie. This is perfect. This is so perfect. It is. Is it? What to expect when you're expecting. Oh, what? This is great. Wait, that's a movie? Yeah. Yeah, they made a movie of it. It's like this big ensemble rom-com movie about pregnancy. From what year? Like six or seven years ago. Okay, this is perfect. We, Ryan has a baby. I'm about to have a baby. Well, I'll finally know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yes. This is great. <laughs> All right, baby. Well, uh, thanks for... Hey, thanks for being... Um, a constant source of like my old world back in Portland. It's really made meant a lot while I've been out here. I, so if we're getting real here at the end, I'm just going to say, I love you. Thanks for being there for me. Oh, I love you and I miss you and I want you. <laughs> oh, baby. Oh, baby. I need you. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. <clears throat> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on a gentleman's guide. To rom-coms. I love their chemistry. Whoa. Oh, I sorry. You said chemistry. I heard you very specifically say uh chemistry oh god i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna need you to take a second take at that 